Today's episode of What's on Your Bookshelf is brought to you by Insignia Training Partners, the leaders in outsourced L&D talent and resources. Insignia is a full-service learning and development company that provides L&D talent to design, develop, and deploy your training solutions. Insignia specializes in providing the right resources for your projects at a fraction of the cost as opposed to bringing on new full-time employees. This includes fractional chief learning officer services for enterprise training strategy, instructional designers to develop your training content and materials, facilitators to deliver in-person or virtual training to your staff, LMS administrators to manage the process, virtual training producers to make sure your virtual training is engaging and effective, and coaches to support the learning after training is completed. If you don't have a training department, that's okay. Insignia can be your bolt-on training department. With Insignia, you get dedicated resources providing fractional services by specialists in their field. Whether it's onboarding new hires, upskilling your team, or ensuring compliance, Insignia designs impactful programs that stick. Visit insigniatraining.com to discover their full range of services and to schedule a free consultation. Insignia is your partner for training success. Welcome to What's on Your Bookshelf with your hosts, Denise Russo and Samantha Powell. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. It's another episode of What's on Your Bookshelf. This is a life and leadership podcast where we are living out loud the pages of the books that are on our bookshelves. My name is Denise Russo. I'm here with my friend, Sam Powell. Once again, we are in a series for 2024 on pursuing happiness and we're in the middle of talking through a really great book written by a psychologist and the book is called the how of happiness which is a new approach to getting the life you want and i don't really know that it's a new approach it's just a new way of consciously thinking about this approach Mm -hmm. to happiness and so i'm excited about the chapter that we're on today so we're in chapter five But it's happiness activity number four. And Sam, you were telling me before we got on the line today just about a little bit of the confusing nature of the structure of this book. So, Uh yeah, the chapters are all numbered, but the activities are numbered, but there's multiple activities in a chapter. So we're on chapter five, but activity number four. So we keep confusing ourselves. But uh, yeah, this is a. This is a good one. This this one today is one that is in both of our top fours, right? Yes. So I'm excited to talk about this one with you. I am too. Do you want to share with the listeners a little bit about, if they're just listening for the first time, what top four, what does that mean? Yeah, so this book is really a manual at the end of the day on how to become happier and what you can control. So it starts off with you know, really some baselining happiness activities that you can do both at like your happiness set point, which we talk about, right? That's 50% of your happiness is a, is a baseline set point about who you are. There's a little quiz you can take on that to figure that out. But there's the Oxford happiness assessment that um, will then tell you sort of where, how you feel today and in, in your happiness. And what um, the argument is in this book is that if you do one of these 12 activities that she proposes, and today we're going to talk about number four, if you do one of these 12, you can control 40% of your happiness. And you can change that Oxford happiness scale number to go up 
if you do that. And so she's got a third assessment in here. So lots of assessments, but they're all good stuff. Who doesn't love a good quiz to take, right? <laughs> if you uh, take this, the assessment that leads into the activities, it will rank what your what activities call to you the most, right? What are most you know important for you? And what she suggests is that you focus on your top four, right? So don't try all 12 activities, like eventually, great, sure, go for it. But as you're starting out, as you're really trying to, you know, get the biggest bang for your buck and your time here, it's start with your top four. So Denise and I have both done this. Um, and every time we talk about one of these, we always say like, okay, does this fall in your top four? Does it fall in my top four? So this one is in both of our top fours, uh, which is, I think the first time so far that's happened, right, on one of these. So that's first a good one. Time. First time so far. So a, a quick note on those, these assessments. These are private assessments for yourself only. It's just to gauge where you are so that in the book you can target straight in on the, this thing. What I love about it is, you know, when you think about work and performance, a lot of times businesses look at where are your weaknesses and they target on the weakness to try to improve that. But I remember not long ago, a couple of years ago, I guess, talking with two different people about this topic of performance and, and targeting in on how to maximize potential and performance. And so one was uh, John Maxwell. John Maxwell is one of the number one leadership authors and experts in the world. And Sam and I are both certified directly by John. He's written over 100 great leadership books. Maybe he'll be on our list for one of our special episodes. But one of the things that he teaches in many of his teachings is this concept of the Pareto principle, or if you've ever heard of it called the 80-20 rule, which basically says that 80% of the results that you have in life come from 20% of the outputs that you have. So it's about picking the things that are the most important. So the second person that I learned this from was uh, Rob Schallenberger. So Rob and Steve Schallenberger, Rob's the son and Steve's the dad, they wrote a series of books around doing things that matter the most in life. And they teach this concept as well about why focus on the things that are, are a hardship to you or the things that are a struggle to you to try to move the needle on them? Because then the things that are, let's say, your conscious comfort zone middle parts, they don't get any attention. And the things that you're great at, you never become great, great at because you're already great at it, but you kind of ignore those things. So yeah. what this is talking about in this book and these assessments is Let's focus on where those top four are, not where are the bottom four, where are the top four, and then dig deep into those top four to make them even stronger. And those will become foundational to you pursuing this how of happiness. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, the Pareto Principles wonder is a wonderful concept to master, especially in the business world, things like that, right? I've done that with problem solving methodologies and things like that. When you go through and you find, hey, here's my top most likely causes that'll fix this problem. Then you focus on just those few things and not everything. Yes, could you completely eliminate your problem if you did all these things? Maybe, but it's not worth your time and your effort. You're going to get such small gains. And yeah, you know, I hear this in like customer success all the time, right? When you're thinking about how do you focus on which customers from a time constraint perspective, it's, well, you focus on your biggest customers more because 
they generate 80% of your revenue, right? So it's that, and you see this, I mean, it is true of anything and everything, you know, that you're working on. You see it in sports, right? Like you really should focus the majority of your time on your top performers because they are the ones who perform most at the end of the day. Yes, it's a team sport. Yes, we need to develop everybody. But when it comes to where's all that extra time go, that extra time's got to go to your top, you know, your top 20% because they're giving you 80% of your output, right? So it's that, you know, that that 80-20 thing is is really important. And this is this is it. Same thing with happiness with you and your time, right? Your time is limited. So if you're going to pick some activities to increase that happiness, pick the ones that are going to give you <laughs> give you the most bang. So this is one of ours. This you and I, we need ours. to be practicing acts of kindness. That is happiness activity number four. So when you saw this on your list, Denise, what... I don't know what came to your mind. What were your first thoughts about? Oh, this is one of my top fours. Does that make sense for you? Why did why did you have the feelings you had? Tell me about it. This is really interesting because this is in the in the section called investing in social connections, and I often confuse people in thinking that people will think I'm extroverted because I've always been in a career that demands for me to be in front of people, whether it's on a stage behind a stage producing, being a people leader of very large global teams, people have the impression that social connection comes easy to me because I think you and I talked about this even yesterday, maybe about, I know a lot of people and you I'm so <laughs> grateful. I'm so grateful. However, however, I'm super introverted. I hate networking. You and I were talking about you going to a networking event yesterday, and it just made me feel so cringy because I <laughs> hate networking. And yet if I go and I, there's people I know, I'll probably be the last one to leave and be helping to clean up afterwards. So I guess what I took away from, from this one, especially this particular happiness activity, the practicing acts of kindness, is that we all deserve to be treated well and with kindness. And so I am a gift giver. Olivia, my daughter, will often say that my biggest love language is gift giving. And maybe gift giving and kindness isn't exactly the same thing. But as I was reading the chapter, it really, it really spoke to me about how I show kindness through giving, giving my time, giving my heart, giving things. And when I'm not doing those things, I can directly sense that there's something that is off balance with my own kindness. And so I wonder, as you've thought about the chapter as well, Sam, if you are exhibiting kindness or being kind and you think about the people that you're giving to, what does it make you think about the people that you're being kind to? Mm. That's a good question. I I think it it makes me happy to see other people happy, right? Mm -hmm. It makes me happy to solve someone's problem or be a piece of the solution for somebody, right? Like I love to organize ideas, people, things, whatever. I sat at the, at the networking event. I sat next to three women who were professional organizers and I was like, tell me more. I need to hear all the things about this. And, um, and, and I was thinking as they were telling me stories about how they, they go in and they all, you know, obviously like 
do the basics of what you would think professional organizing does, but they also organize people's pictures um, digitally and in and in real life. They've got a whole like branch of their business that does that, which I was like, oh my gosh, what a wonderful gift to go through somebody's memories and be able to pull it out in a way that they can go access them when they need it, look at it. Like I thought that was super cool. I was like, I did not think of that in the grouping of professional organizing, mm-hmm. especially not in today's stage because it's all digital. Like sure my mom's boxes of pictures <laughs> i could see that but like right it was just super super interesting and then she was ta- one of the women specializes in like neurodivergent folks and helping them particularly organize stuff right that is that i it was just a fascinating conversation and so it made me think of like that is such a business of kind of acts of kindness all the time right you're giving somebody this beautiful like gift of clean space, uh, organized life, uh, you know, like, I, you know, I think about some of those things. And when I think about doing those things for people, like it just lights me up. It makes me so happy to feel like I did something awesome. Right. And it's, it's never the thank you at the end. Like, I don't, you know, honestly, I would, I would love to do stuff just anonymously because that's not where the joy comes from for me. It is the, like, I want to see the happiness in their eyes. Right. I want to see the, you know, just that moment where they're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> like, like it's not the thank you, it's the oh, beforehand where it's like you've taken a burden away from me or you've just made my day better or you've made me smile or you've made me realize that I'm appreciated. Like, that's, mm-hmm. I, like, that's just so, that is one of the best feelings in the world to me. You know, you don't know what everybody's going through, right? And so right. I read an article recently that was talking about, I don't remember even what the the main theme of the article was, but I remember this one point, which was there was a lady grocery shopping and she got to the end of her checking out and realized that she brought her wrong purse. It wasn't even that she didn't maybe have money at home. We don't really know the real story, but she got to the end. She was frazzled. She, She, you could just tell that that was really shaking her up. It was probably very embarrassing because Mm -hmm. there was a long line behind her. And rather than the person behind her being like, oh, how long is this going to take? Like this, this is me sometimes, right? Like, why do I always get in the line that looks the shortest and it takes the longest? (laughs) I can't believe this person bought stuff without a price tag on it. Like that does happen sometimes where that's in my heart. But in this case, the person that was behind her without even question and maybe it was because he's been blessed and could be a blessing he he quietly handed the cashier his credit card and said uh please I'd like to take care of it and the lady was dumbfounded and that is not that's not like a unique story right we there's a lot of these stories where people practice these acts of kindness and not just to keep the line moving, but something stirred in that person's heart to give. It, it kind of actually makes me think though, too, about what is the way that you present yourself? So during the holiday time, you know, when the Salvation Army people are out by Walmart and they're ringing the bell. When I was a little girl, I remember always saying to my mom, please, can I have a quarter to put in the bucket? And I remember those times because something about the instances 
probably translated into the person that was collecting, telling a story or sharing a mm -hmm. smile or being grateful mm -hmm. that I, that I, the little girl put the quarter in, in the bucket. And yeah. I went to Walmart recently and I was thinking to myself, they don't even look at you now when you're walking past them, or maybe they're just talking to each other and not even thinking that there is a genuine reason and need and purpose for why they're collecting that money. And something about society has shifted. And it almost is as if, not that they're being unkind, but they're not presenting an environment to welcome kindness, I don't think. Yeah, like I, to me, that makes me think of um, like connection, right? We live in a world that's always connected, but somehow never connected, right? Like I see that a lot with people now, especially as I've been going to a lot of networking events as of as of late. And, you know, I, I met with this, there was this woman at this event I went to this week, it was a holiday party. So there was a bit of like reflection, the woman who runs the um, women's group, had us talk about what's the what's the one thing we're most proud of for this last year and what's the one thing we want to do next year which like you know I really thought was like a great great thing to do and so we're we're, we're recording this you know as uh, for next year but as we're uh, you know kind of at the end here so as we're kicking off the new year it's a great reflection to take the time to think what did I accomplish this last year and mm -hmm. what is it in this year as it's getting going especially because we're a few weeks into it now mm -hmm. what does what do I want this year to become and the one of the women at my table said I want 2024 to be a year of connection she goes I've met a lot of people I run a networking group she's like but what I really want is deep connection like I want people that I can call up and say let's do lunch and they're like yes so this is gonna be our best part of my you know week here is mm -hmm. you know she's like I want that deep deep connection I was like man that's you know, at the end of the day, that's what it is. And I think that's what acts of kindness do for us. They help us feel connected to other people, right? Mm -hmm. It helps us realize there's more than just us and our immediate space. And, you know, I, it's just, it's so interesting. And she taught, and uh, Dr. Sonia talks in this book that, you know, acts of kindness not only do good for the recipient, but also for the doer, which I thought was super interesting, right? Because, and and I've heard that before, but it made me think about, uh, a coach told me one time that um, it is a gift to other people to let them help you, right? Mm -hmm. To give them that space and to allow for that. That's become one of my life mantras at this point when I'm like, oh, I don't want to ask for help. And I'm like, no, this lets this person have that feeling, right? That I talked about a couple of minutes ago of like, oh man, I got to help Sam. That's so great. I'm like, I feel so good. And it's like, that that's a gift unto itself right of like letting somebody in and letting that because it fosters connection right like you helped me I helped you we now feel more tied together right there's gratefulness between us you know there's that deeper deeper level of you know of connection and I, I think that when I think of acts of kindness that's I, I think that's what it's really doing at the end of the day this is uh, this episode is probably coming out I'm going to guess March time frame or so. Mm -hmm. So it's about almost ready to be spring, I'm guessing. And mm -hmm. when you think about springtime and you think about flowers blooming and growth and colors and maybe the air is getting from cold to just cool and beautiful. I love spring and I love the fall. And, and so it started to get me to think about with this, maybe you're at a place personally or professionally 
where you're thinking about change. Maybe there's something you want to grow into. And this chapter is talking about quality more than quantity. Mm-hmm. And so there's mm-hmm. even a really great exercise in this chapter that talks around the idea that the, the uh, these psychologists do lots of studies. So in the book, they reference a lot of different studies. One mm-hmm. of the studies was that they had participants in two groups, and they asked them to practice five acts of kindness per week over the course of six weeks. So imagine if this is whenever this comes out, that you would practice five acts of kindness for six weeks starting now. In fact, if you're not really sure how to even do this, there's a really amazing, great exercise on this in John Maxwell's book, Intentional Living. If we have time on another episode, I'll talk more about it because I actually walked through that book with my kids when they were in elementary school. They're both in college now, and I still remember very vividly what we did in that chapter, and it was life-moving based on what you just said, Sam, was it wasn't even so much... It was for the people we were practicing acts of kindness for, but who changed was us. And so in the book, it talks about this five acts of kindness over the course of six weeks. Now, the way that it worked, though, was that the first group was instructed to do these acts anytime throughout the week. But the second group was instructed to do the five acts all on one day, like do all five on a Monday and then don't do anything else for the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. And so that was the exact instructions. And what they found in this study is that when you spread it out over time, it becomes more uh, more meaningful, more impactful, more ingrained as a habit. It's sort of like what we taught in the last book, right? Atomic Habits, which is tiny changes over time that incrementally compound to make mm-hmm. a difference. And so the results that they had for this is they were all doing five acts. All groups were yeah. doing five acts, but one spread it out and one did it all in one day. And the results were that if you spread it out, that you would have uh, more results for your own mm-hmm. sense of happiness. Yeah. Yeah. And when she goes into this part of the chapter, when she goes into the part of the chapter in this book where it's talking about how to practice kindness so what should you be doing, you know, from a scientific standpoint, right? From all the studies they did, what are the best ways to do this? The first thing she talks about is that timing is everything. She says that, you know, the first step in practicing kindness strategy is to select which acts you intend to do, how often and how much. And it's important. It's a it's a very important decision point for this to be an effective strategy. If you do too little, you're not going to obtain enough of a benefit. And if you do too much, you're going to feel fatigued, overburdened. Right? It's it's going to have that. So you've got to find that Goldilocks, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. version of yourself where it's like it's got to be just you know just right. Which is uh, she you know her she said her suggestion is picking like a day a week. And, you know, on that day, commit to like something new, something special, something different, right? That, you know, is, is, is impactful for you, right? It's like, oh, you know, my kindness Tuesdays and on Tuesdays I do at least one, you know, I do one big thing, right? It's something like that where that it spreads that out and it makes it just feel very impactful for you. Because again, you don't want to, you don't want this to become a burden, then you're doing the opposite and you don't want to do it too little the way you're not feeling any effect either. The second thing she said to that was to have variety because variety Mm -hmm. is the spice of life. And then she said that then let there be a chain of kindness. So in fact, it's funny because now that I'm looking back at it, the story in the book is very similar to the story I shared about the grocery store. And Mm -hmm. then there's a final caveat that's in here in the book 
which says, and this is an important one, is that kindness doesn't exactly relate to wealth. It doesn't mean that your kindness means giving money. Mm-hmm. It could be also that that is a way that you share kindness. But it says in the book that there's overwhelming evidence. We know this. We've talked about it already, that money doesn't create happiness. It might open up avenues for you to share in certain ways, but that it won't it won't be long term. And so the author says, what if I told you that becoming a more generous, compassionate and charitable person would make you happier than earning a higher income? So I think that for me, as I close out this episode, my thoughts are around this is the time of year when people are looking forward to maybe um, raises because it's springtime. That's usually when people are looking for bonuses or raises or stock payouts. But what if you were looking at something deeper, which was really foundationally being a kinder, happier, more peaceful person, personally and professionally? Sam, if you were to think about the one takeaway you got from the chapter today, what would it be? I think that it's finding the balance in the acts of kindness, right? Because there is, you can't overstep, right? You can make somebody really uncomfortable. You can make them feel, you know, underprivileged. You can make yourself feel bad because you're doing too much. You're overextending. You're, you know, you're always the giver and never the taker, right? Like, so I thought it was interesting that the science here supported that it's the key is the balance. The key is doing you know, the just right amount to really maximize the kind of kindness and to make sure that you're doing it in a way that really meets that person with where their need is, right? Like, it's not helpful if you go and you organize somebody's house for them and they don't want that, right? Mm -hmm. Then that stresses them out and it does whatever. It doesn't, you know, help somebody if you give someone money, it embarrasses them, right? So finding, you know, just the right amount, just the right activity, just the right time is really key. And like, I such a good, like, broader life lesson, you know, and really making sure that what you're doing is, you know, is, is just just right. But you don't have to overthink it too, right? Like finding that balance, finding that space. I just, I thought that was really interesting. And as I think about how do I work this into something more regular in my life, right? Because I feel like I just, you know, free flying here with acts of kindness, you know, I do them when they come up. But if it's something that, hey, I am doing this once a week, I make sure it's purposeful activity, right? Because that's about, that's what this book's about, making it purposeful, finding Mm -hmm. that just right thing in the purpose and in the intention, you know, to me was, was really something special. And this is all about yourself and about others. And next week, we're going to be talking about nurturing social relationships and good social relationships. They serve so many vital areas in our life. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're headed next week. That will be happiness activity number five in chapter five of this wonderful book, The How of Happiness. So Sam, thanks for being here with me today. Once again, I love nurturing our social relationship together. (laughs) All right, friends, if you are just new to our podcast, we are so glad that you're here. If you've been following along but haven't subscribed yet, please do. And if you have friends and loved ones that, that you think could get value from this, would you please share our podcast with them? Because we'd love to be able to spread this to more people. And we'd also love to hear from you. So thank you to Scott Miller, who's our producer. He will be putting information in the show notes for ways for you to get in touch with us. Thanks for joining us this week on another episode of What's on Your Bookshelf. <laughs>